We're only seven days away from our uh, big event, Culver's and Characters. Uh, after both of our services next week, uh, we're going to have a free Culver's custard for everyone. We're not just handing out coupons. Like Culver's is coming here uh, to s- scoop some custard for everyone. And uh, kids are going to get to take their picture with Paw Patrol characters, with uh, Captain America, with uh, Spider-Man. It- it's going to be just a-, a super fun day. However... We're not doing this uh, just because it's fun or cute or something to do. We're doing this because there are thousands of people, uh, just in Blaine alone, that are looking to find God again, and they just don't know where to start. And this gives us an easy opportunity to invite someone to church, to bring them with to a service first so they can hear about Jesus Christ, and then we get to hang out with them afterwards and just have some quality relational time as well. And I'm telling you, we're going to see people's lives changed. There are going to be people who are going to look back and they're going to say, yes, it was February 24th, 2019 that I gave my life to Christ and my life was changed. That's going to happen next week, which is incredible. Now, this all sounds perfect and amazing, except for the part where we actually have to talk to someone about God, right? (laughs) Or invite someone. At least that's how I think many of us hear it. In fact, a Barna Research, which is a premier polling and research agency, uh, released a fascinating study on evangelism just this past week. I don't know if you saw this at all. Uh, here's what they found. Of the people who are actually practicing Christians, not just people who maybe check it on a box, but they, they live out their Christian faith, 96% of those people say that witnessing, that's like talking about Jesus, uh, is an important part of the Christian faith. Uh, that's great, Right? They also found that 94 to 97%, depending on people's ages, said that the best thing that could ever happen to someone would be for someone to come to Christ and start following Jesus. Again, that's great. It seems like all of these practicing Christians just love evangelism, which is sharing your faith. But then Barna asked how many people agreed with the following statement. I'm going to throw it up on the screen for you. They said, how many of you agree with this statement? It is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that one day they will share the same faith. So they're asking, they're saying, do you believe it's wrong to tell someone about Christ if they don't truly believe in Christ? They're worshiping something else or whatever. Around 20% of practicing Christians that are in the Generation X or the Boomer generation said they agreed with that statement. And Barna found This is just this week. This is not like 10 years ago. They found that 47% of Christian millennials agree with that statement. 47%. This is the fascinating, uh, perhaps tragic phase of Christianity that we're currently in right now in America. We're caught in this like weird transitionary period where we, we need to pick a direction, right? Right now it's like we love Jesus. Like we we wish people knew about him. We feel like it would be the best thing ever if they found out about him. But the last thing that we want to do in our American culture is offend someone and tell them that their viewpoint is wrong. And so we say nothing. And yet we cannot escape the fact that in the Bible, Jesus commands us to go. And to tell, if it was his very last words, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Uh, In our passage today in the book of Luke, as we've been going through the book of Luke, uh, we're going to see a first example of Jesus 
sending his disciples out to go and tell the good news. Uh, If you want to follow along uh, in our passage today, there's a Bible under every chair. Uh, We're going to be on page 841, uh, or you can use the Renovation Church app and just have Bible and weekly verses. Uh, Up until this point, uh, Jesus has been doing uh, most of the ministry himself, and the disciples have just kind of been watching and learning, but now it's going to be their turn. So this is Luke chapter 9. Uh, We're going to start right at verse 1. It says, when Jesus had called the 12, that's the 12 disciples, together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town. And shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Okay, let me start with this question. How, if you are a follower of Jesus, how, how do you know about Jesus? You know because someone at some point dared to tell you about him. Even if it maybe felt a little bit intense to you at the time to talk about that you were a sinner in need of saving, or perhaps someone told your parents, or someone told your grandparents. There was some Christian out there somewhere that actually believes what Jesus said in John 14, 6, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That person didn't avoid making you uncomfortable. They risked it. Why? And why would they risk it? Because they're hopeful that you can find faith and joy and forgiveness in Jesus Christ, forgiveness that you can't find anywhere else. And honestly, although we don't talk about this anymore, we share the gospel. By the way, I'm going to use that word a lot today, the gospel. If you're kind of newer to church, the gospel, it means literally good news. It's the good news that Jesus Christ, if we believe that he died on the cross for our sins in our place, that we can be completely forgiven. You don't have to earn your way to heaven. You can be forgiven by following him. You believe that he died for you in your place. That's the gospel. Why do we, I mean, why do we even share that with people in the first place? Well, at the, at the root of it, we do it because we know that the fire of judgment is coming for those who do not believe that Jesus died for their sins. And there is a way to be saved. And not just saved from the judgment that is coming, but that they can have this life-changing, amazing, loving, supernatural relationship with God right now on earth. If judgment is real, if hell is real, now I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that most of you in this room believe that it is, Otherwise, what are you saved from? Like Christians always say, oh, I'm saved, Jesus saved. Well, we saved you from what? We saved us from hell. However awkward that is to bring up, because like we don't talk about that anymore. Like, so we believe it, but we would never say it out loud. But if, you, if that's truly what you believe, however awkward or difficult it might be to bring that subject up, in actuality, the most offensive and non-loving thing we could do as Christians would be to not tell people about hell and that Jesus can save them. I want you to think about it this way. No one is going to be suffering in hell 
for all of eternity, and while they're there, say, I am so thankful that my friends and family didn't make me uncomfortable by telling me about Jesus for 45 minutes back in 2019. So sin, that we sin, that we fall short of the glory of God, that we can't make it on our own, and if we don't let Jesus save us, there is judgment, there is hell. That's the beginning of the story, right? And it is part of the story. Now, okay, before anyone thinks that I'm advocating that we all go out and point fingers into chests and yell at our neighbors and get us all out of here after first service with the end is near signs marching down Radisson Road... Like, before you think that's what I'm advocating for, notice that in Luke 9, when the disciples go out, they don't go out just merely truth-telling, right? Jesus sends them out to do what? They go to heal people. They go to bring love. They're doing what Jesus was doing. Okay, we're, we're nine chapters in to Luke now, and what have we seen from Christ? He's not just teaching the truth. Uh, last week, he, he healed a, a woman who was chronically bleeding for 12 years. He raised a little girl from the dead. The very next story in Luke, he's going to feed hungry people. And so Christians are not just supposed to tell the truth. We're supposed to be unbelievably compassionate people. We're supposed to be the ones caring for the sick. We're supposed to bring the food to the hungry. If somebody is hurting in your life, maybe hurting at the office, we should be the first ones in line to listen, to pray with them, to bring meals if, if they need it. Like people need to see the work of God in our lives, not just hear us saying we have the answers. See, the Christian, therefore, is a fascinating paradox. The Christian is supposed to be attractively offensive. Uh, Timothy Keller says it this way. He says, so here's what Jesus is saying to the disciples. You should be incredibly attractive. You should go out loving people. You should go out sacrificially giving to people, serving people, healing the sick, and exercising demons. In that sense, you're going to be incredibly attractive. But on the other hand, you're still going to be telling people, I am the only Lord and Savior of the world. And that's going to be very offensive. So think about this. Okay, let's just look to the book of Acts. In the Bible, it's just, if, if you haven't read it, that's the story of the, how the church gets started. You have the Apostle Paul. He goes into, which at the time was this pagan Gentile region of Turkey, modern-day Turkey, Greece, and Italy, and he tells people that they are wrong. Like, I feel like even that sentence today in our culture, that just like, makes us a little bit uncomfortable. Like, you can't tell people they're wrong, Right? And he tells them that their idols, that their gods of Roman and Greek mythology weren't actually God at all. Was that offensive? Of course it was. Why do you think they murdered so many Christians? Right, this is why Christians have been persecuted for 2,000 years. But let me ask you this. Was Paul correct that the statues that people were bowing down to and worshiping weren't actually God and couldn't actually save anyone. Was he correct? Yes. And so Paul and Peter and Timothy and others, they come along and they say, listen, you guys, I don't know how to tell this to you, but 
You don't have the truth. These are, these are just statues. These are just myths. But Jesus was actually God's son, and he can save you. He is the only way you can be saved. This was the most offensive and exclusive message that these people had ever heard. But this apparently offensive message swept the entire Roman Empire, causing it to basically drop to its knees and bow to Jesus in just a little over 300 years. How? I mean, think about that. These people worshipped whatever God they wanted to, and the Christians came along saying, no, this is the only way. And in 300 years, basically, the entire Roman Empire was Christian. How does that happen? Well, for one, it happens because it's true, okay? Because it's real. And secondly, it's because the love of God was so evident in these Christians. Uh, let's look to, to Keller again, who I'm just indebted to on this. This is regarding how Christianity spread. He said, Christians were the most exclusive-sounding people that they had ever heard, but they were the most inclusive-acting people that they had ever seen. Christians cared for the poor in the way the pagan world didn't do. Christianity included different races. It brought the races together. It brought the classes together in a way the pagans just thought was completely improper. Uh, There's a great uh, book out there by Rodney uh, Stark I read a few years ago. Uh, It's called The Rise of Christianity. Uh, In it, uh, Stark chronicles uh, historically how Christianity went from this obscure movement to the dominant force in uh, the Western world in just a few centuries. Now, it's a sociological book. It's not a spiritual one because I, as a pastor, I'm going to answer that question. Well, it, it took over much of the world because, well, it was God, right, and the power of God. But he just looks at it socially, sociologically. And Stark says, this is why Christianity took over much of the Western world. It was because the Christians did things like elevating and honoring women. Which, I think Christians don't get a lot of credit for that anymore. But the faith of Christianity was so attractive to women because Paul says, Galatians 3.28, for in Christ there is no difference, right? There's There's no male or female. We're all in Christ. It was the Christians who started to move people beyond racism and classism. It was the Christians that stayed to care for the dying during the plagues when everybody else just fled their families and their communities. So you have these Christians come in and they've got this entirely different message. They say, it doesn't, everybody else is saying, it doesn't matter what you believe, you can just worship Hermes or, or Zeus or Artemis, you just pick whatever God you want. And the Christians said, no, 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 it's just Jesus. But the masses were so struck by the early Christians' faith that Jesus was the only way. And they were so struck by how these Christians actually seemed to love people and live out their faith that people just started converting to Christianity en masse. The Christians, therefore, were this fascinating paradox of being attractively offensive. And it worked. I think we still struggle with that word offensive. So let me pitch it to you in a different way. Okay. Well, let's say I go in for my annual physical and I see my doctor. And the doctor tells me, David, uh, you just need to uh, lay off the culvers a bit, uh, maybe actually get to rehabbing your IT band on your leg and get exercising again. And if you did that, David, you could be 25 pounds lighter. You could be healthier. 
I think there's something attractively offensive about that statement. Is there not? Like, sure, it's hard to hear, but I'm attracted to the possibility of what could be. Now, okay, there's part of us that feels like I just wish nobody would say anything to me about my current status of whatever's happening in our life, right? That's our culture. We are hypersensitive to any sort of criticism, to any sort of suggestions that we are wrong. I mean, that's partly why I think the gospel is feeling more and more offensive in our culture. But we have to let ourselves be people who can be challenged on things, right? Otherwise, there's nothing left of society. Like, if every doctor in America is just worried about offending people or making people feel uncomfortable, if every doctor in America stops telling people that they're unhealthy because they don't want to offend anyone, well, then we're in trouble as a society, right? And if every Christian stops telling people the gospel because it might make people just a teensy bit uncomfortable at first, well, then we're in trouble. Okay, so what does this mean for us as followers of Jesus? It means, I think, that we have to hold these two things of attractively offensive in tension. Meaning that there are two errors that you can make if you sway too far to either side of this. Like, the first error is to come in with all offense and no attraction. Like, this would be like Jesus' disciples coming to one of those towns and they're just coming, preaching fire and brimstone, and there's no healing, there's no love, there's no service, there's no attraction. You know, I think, in many ways, our passage in Luke 9 and the early Christian history that we talked about should be an indictment to the modern-day American church. Let me ask you a question. What does the culture today in America think of Christians? Like, if you went out and you just asked the man on the street, okay, well, okay, we'll say you went on Facebook this afternoon and you said, hey, friends, just curious, especially for those of you that aren't Christians, what do people nowadays think of Christians? What would they say? I'm not sure that they would identify Christians as attractively compassionate and loving. I think they're more apt to know Christians by their exclusive claims. And I think this is, this is saddening to me. And I don't even know if they know us by our exclusive claims about the cross and salvation. I think many people just think Christianity is all about talking about moral issues and how other people are wrong and we're right. I just think so many people claiming the name of Christ have lost focus. It's like if you're out there and you're just constantly clashing with people about your beliefs and people just can't stand you, or you're just unbearable at work, or for some of you, you're just un bearable on social media, like as you're out telling everybody what's right and how they're wrong. I'll just tell you right now, chances are you're not being persecuted because you're a Christian. You're being persecuted because you're just offensive and not attractive. And you don't look like the disciples. You don't look like Jesus. So stop telling yourself that you do. If people cannot see your love for them while you bring the truth, then you're not doing it right. See, the second error, like you go to the other end of the continuum, is where we just want to be attractional to people, and so we hide all the parts of the truth because we're afraid that it could offend them if they really heard the whole story. 
Now, if I had to collectively peg our church, Renovation Church, into one camp, and you sort of forced me to put us to one side of the continuum, I would say that most of us are more apt to err here than we are the first error. We're more apt to just try and be attractional and not actually share the full truth. But the truth is, in this camp, we don't look a whole lot like Jesus' disciples or Jesus either. I think many of us, like, we're the type of person that is super nice around the office. And that's how people would describe you. Like, we're the type of person that pays for your food in the drive-thru. Right? We mow your lawn. We snow blow your driveway. Like, we're super good people. But you never know that deep down inside, we believe that without a saving faith, you will be in hell for all of eternity. Like, what is that? To me, that error of attraction with no offense, with no truth, is just as bad, if not a worse level of hypocrisy than the first error. Like, do we believe this or do we not? A generation ago, I'm not even sure how this happened, honestly. Millions of Christians, I think it's maybe when the church decided it was going to update itself and become relevant to the culture. Maybe that's my theory. Millions of Christians bought into this lie that if we just become super nice and we live really culturally relevant lives, or, or lives and we, we stay up with modern music, right, and we know all the latest shows on Netflix and we can sort of talk with people in the culture, that people will think that we're so nice and so relevant that they're just going to come up to you someday, right? If you just keep being nice and relevant, they'll come up to you and say, please, sir, ma'am, you just, you are so nice. You are the nicest person at work and you are so, not, you know all the latest hit shows and songs and you're so amazing. Please tell me how to be saved. I've been following Jesus for 19 years and that's never happened to me. I haven't even heard a story of someone saying that that happened to them. Every single person that I've seen come to Christ in my life was because I told them or somebody else told them. A person cannot have their life changed unless someone first risks telling them about the attractively offensive gospel. Like I look at my own life. I sat... Uh, in a church. Now, granted, this is just a mainline church and never shared the gospel, but I, we on and off went to a church growing up, and I, uh, I, I heard, well, most weeks we probably even went when I was little, I heard about Jesus, right? I heard the teachings, but I never heard the gospel. I never heard that I was a sinner, right? And so I wasn't even remotely a follower of Jesus growing up. It wasn't until I heard the attractively offensive gospel that I was a sinner in need of salvation, that I was saved. And the truth was, up until that point, even when I was 18, I 100% believed that I could save myself. Right? I was a nice guy. I was a valedictorian of my class. I was president of the student council. I thought, I am leading the train on the way to heaven. All this stuff is going to cover up for all my other stuff. 
You know, sometimes I look at my life and I think, what if, what if no one ever had the guts to tell me that I couldn't save myself? Despite being a pretty good kid, that I couldn't earn my way to heaven. Like, what if instead of you all, the Christian community, I know many of you are new believers in the last couple of years, but some of you, you were believers when I wasn't. So what if you all, the Christian community, had decided it just would be better to not bother David Sorn? Like, let's just make sure that he's comfortable. What if you would have done that to me? I will just tell you, as someone who's been on both sides, I just, I know my sinful heart enough that I just shudder. I I just, I literally shudder when I think about where I would be now 19 years later if I had not Jesus in my life. Thank you for telling me. We cannot be just attractional and nice and hope people are going to get it. There are thousands of people in this city alone that are waiting for you to tell them about Jesus. How will they know? Paul says, Romans 10, if we do not tell them. If you're a believer in Jesus, he has sent you out like the disciples to proclaim the good news to those around you. Just like his disciples in Luke 9, he's sending you. Are you going? You've been sent. Like what an odd thing to be sent but not moving. Like there's part of you right now that's just kind of like shaking in your boots because you're going, Lord, I just, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> but I get it and I know it and I need to do this. Think again of what we see in the passage in Luke 9. You think the disciples were scared to go out for the very first time? Of course they were. Right? They've never done this themselves. They just watched other people do it. So like, how did they get themselves to actually go? They went, because just like it said in verses 1 and 2, because Jesus sent them. They went because he gave them power and authority. Like, notice it says they didn't even have money. They didn't have a bag. They didn't have food. They had to go. It's like Jesus said, oh, you've never done this before? How about I throw you in the deep end? They had to go. In a sense, they were forced to go just relying on the power of God. And it is no different for you. Jesus, in your heart right now, in your mind, he is sending you out to the people he's put in your life. And you're going, I can't do this. You're right, you can't. But he can, right? He's given you the power. Do you not believe that God can do this? Right? God can do this. I think we don't go because we think, oh, I could never. Yeah, you could never, but he can. Right? Can we trust in his power and not just the power of man? And listen, not everybody's going to respond favorably to you when you start talking about God more in your life. But they didn't to the disciples. You know, some people, they had to leave the town because nobody was responding. And they were doing miracles, right? They were healing people everywhere they went. Some people will just be offended. Some people will be attractively offended. They're going to go, what? did you really? I just, but hmm, let me think, let me, let me think. They're intrigued. Some people, because of what God's already doing in their life, they're just going to be attracted. They go, yeah, I need to tell me more. Tell me more. There's, people, there's thousands of people in the city right now that God is moving in their hearts. He's preparing their hearts for someone to share the gospel, but who's going to do it? They're already ready. Don't give up. 
no matter what comes. I want, you to, I want you to believe that even if just one person comes with you, say next week even, to hear the gospel, or even just one person starts to hear you out as you begin to share more about Jesus, that change alone can be exponential. Let me just give you an example of this. The house group that I'm in, uh, does a, we do like a guy's a cabin weekend every summer. And uh, while we were up north hanging out for the weekend this summer, I was talking to uh, one of my friends in the group that I go to. His name is Bjorn Hansen. Now, Bjorn has a really Christian family. It's like his parents, his brothers, his cousins, his aunts, his uncles, his grandparents. Like everybody seems to follow Christ. You know families like this in that family? And they're all doing all sorts of stuff for Christ. Just an amazing Christian family. And we were talking this summer on this couch in the cabin, and I said, Bjorn, like this had to have started somewhere, right? Like when did it all begin for your family? Like at some point, somebody had to come to Christ. And so we started talking about it, and he knew uh, some of the details about it. And then I ended up talking uh, with his mom, who I also know, and I got to hear the rest of the story. It started back in 1936. See, in 1936, Albert Benson, who was Bjorn's great-grandfather, was not a great man. He was abusive to his wife, to his children. He played cards in the woods, smoked like a chimney, drank like a fish. But in 1936, in his town, a Sunday school union had decided to organize a revival meeting at the old country schoolhouse. Right? Even though 80 years ago, there were far less people to reach for Christ than there certainly are in our culture today. See, Christians back then felt like they needed, they felt compelled by the word that they needed to do whatever was possible to reach everybody with the gospel. And so they held revival meetings. They held tent meetings, whatever it took, right? And there would be great music. There would be food. It was attractive to go to. Think like Culver's and characters, but 83 years ago. And at every single one of these meetings, they would share the gospel, and they'd give people a chance to come forward and surrender their lives to Christ. Well, by God's sovereignty, Bjorn's great-grandfather, Albert Benson, ended up at that meeting at the old country schoolhouse that night. And this man, who was making an absolute wreck of his life, he heard the good news, and it stirred something deep in his soul. And that night, Albert Benson, the guy who probably nobody in the whole town thought was going to walk forward, got out of his chair, walked forward, and surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. His family members say that it was so obvious that the Holy Spirit came instantly into his life because there was this instantaneous change. Like the old was gone, the new had come. He literally threw his old life into the woods and down the drain within 24 hours. His family said immediately he started to care for his wife. He told his wife for the very first time that he loved her. He started to care for his children. And by the way, here's the thing. When you invite someone to hear the gospel, or you, you, better yet, you share with them yourself, it's not just that that person will be changed. It's their children, too. Like Nothing moves my heart more 
as the pastor of this church than seeing all of our new believers teaching their children about Jesus. See, two of Albert Benson's kids got saved at the revival meeting the very next night. Like, and wouldn't you after seeing that happen to your dad, right? And so they get saved. And the rest of the kids get saved in the years to come, including Bjorn's grandma, who got saved at a tent revival out in the woods, when churches used to tell people the gospel, right? When the strategy was more than let's just be nice and hope people figure it out. And so then Bjorn's grandma, she raises her four children, including Bjorn's mom, to know and follow Jesus. And then they raised their kids, like Bjorn, to know and follow Jesus. And as best as they can tell, looking at their family tree, there are now over 100 followers of Jesus Christ because Albert Benson went to an outreach in 1936. Because somebody believed so deeply in Jesus that they risked challenging him with some truth about his life. But for him, the promise of forgiveness, the promise of change, the promise of salvation was so attractive that he decided to give his life to Christ. So you listen, when you go out and you share the gospel with someone, you invite someone to hear the gospel even next week. God can use you. God wants to use you not just to change a life, but to change generations of lives. That's what God can do when you trust in him. Let me pray. Lord, we pray that that would happen seven days from now. That there would be people who come into this room and they hear your good news that you can save them. That you will come into their life and forgive them. We pray, God, that they then would respond. That they would teach their children about you. And their children would grow up knowing you. And then they would teach their children, God. And hundreds would be changed God, because we have the faith in you to trust, not in ourselves, but in your gospel. It's in your name we pray. Amen.